G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. Audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. The story, the guy who was known as Dr. Death, Dr. Mengele. My mother actually had the misfortune of meeting Mengele personally when she came off an open cattle wagon, having travelled across Europe for three days through sub-zero condition. All the women had to get off the wagon and then run in a circle around him, and he used his thumb to point to the left was death chamber, to the right was labour camp. G'day, I'm Jimmy Colfax. Welcome to The Story. You know, usually when we have somebody share their story, they start off telling about their childhood and their experiences growing up. But sometimes, in order to understand a person's life, we need to go back further to their parents and to find out how their parents' lives shaped theirs. And that's exactly what we'll be doing today with our guest, Tom Winter, whose parents are both survivors of the Holocaust. Tom is having a chat and sharing his and his parents' story with Eric Scatterbo. Tom Winter, welcome to the program. Thank you. I just want to modify, not only were my parents survivors, they were both single survivors of the Holocaust. What does that mean? It means that there were no other members of their family who survived. So both of them, when they met and married and had my sister and I's children, we never had any relatives growing up never experienced a grandparent, uncle, aunt, cousin. We had a few friends of my parents, either from Europe or locally, who we saw a lot of who were called uncles or aunts, in inverted commas, but no blood relatives. And also we should say that psychologically your parents' lives must have impacted you as well. Oh, absolutely. And we'll unpack that as the story unfolds, so we'll get into that. But let's go back to your parents' lives all the way back in Europe. Okay. Well, my mother, from an age of five years, she basically ran the household. And as a result, she didn't really have a childhood Mm -hmm. or a youth. Uh, My father, he grew up in a small country town in Sudetenland near the Czech and Polish border, and he was the youngest of three. He had two older sisters. He was born in 1909, so this was before World War One. Now, speaking of your father, he had a more optimistic outlook in life, would you say? Yes. I mean, this came to me more when both of them told me stories about mm-hmm. uh, the concentration camps that they went to. With mother, I would typically hear the woe is me story and how we suffered but dad would talk more about how we beat the Nazis an example of that was he was selected into a sort of leadership group in the concentration camp and every so often there were demands for labourers so if the demand came through let's say for 69 uh, workers he and his colleagues would send 96 
and hoped that the Germans didn't pick up that hmm. the numbers had been twisted. Um, so also, that way they could get more people out so of the concentration camps. So that way they camps. could save some people, yeah, yeah. get them into labour rather than death. Uh, ironically, though, uh, the ones they saved, the extra ones were the first to die. So, now, why was that? Uh, there was the guy who was known as Dr. Death, uh, Dr. Mengele, was obviously a brilliant physician. And when he assessed the various people, he would assess them to either go to the labour camp or go to the death chambers. And he knew what he was doing. So fooling the system didn't really work. Hmm. My mother actually had the misfortune of meeting Mangala personally when she came off an open cattle wagon, having travelled across Europe for three days through sub-zero condition. All the women had to get off the wagon and then run in a circle around him in sub-zero condition. And he wow. used his thumb to point to the left was death chamber, to the right was labour camp. And she would tell the story that people like soccer players or footballers who looked fit mm -hmm. were sent to the death chambers, but people who you wouldn't pick, like um, overweight housewives, he would select for the labour camp. Now, why would he do that? You'd think he'd want the fit ones. That's what you would naturally think, but he had an ability to somehow sense the physiology and... The ones that he picked normally were the strong ones who could be subjected to the harsh labour conditions, harsh weather conditions. Well, that's just kind of strange that this doctor of death, Dr. Mangala, would know who to pick out, who would survive the concentration camps, but apparently that was the case. But let's go back a little bit. Let's go back to before the war. What were the conditions that your parents grew up in? Well, mum was a schoolgirl. And when the war broke out or when the Germans invaded Czechoslovakia, she was in second form of high school and the Germans basically stopped any further schooling. So she then became a seamstress and at these seamstress classes she met a guy, a Moppel Lederer, and just prior to going to the concentration camp, the two of them got married. Mm -hmm. As it turned out, he perished during the war and on my father's side, he was a bright student and he went to the German university or German law school in um, Prague and he was a bright young lawyer. But when the Nazis came in, he wasn't allowed to practice law because of his Jewish heritage. Then the Nazis decided to transport people, supposed to be a holiday camp, that's where they went with their belongings, then they were stripped of everything they owned and sent off to much more severe camps. Okay, and at this point I should say that I've had the privilege of seeing a video that was made just months before your mother passed away by the Shoah Foundation, and so she shared about her experiences in the concentration camps. And here's an excerpt from that video. Around that time, the transport started. The Germans were making lists and always a thousand people were herded into cattle wagons and driven to the east. We didn't know at the time what it meant. They sent people to Auschwitz or other places in Poland. 
and it took about three days, I think. We arrived in Auschwitz on the 18th of December, 43. We were like sardines, very many packed into a wagon. No food, no drink, no toilets for three days. And when we arrived in Auschwitz, there was a lot of screaming by the Germans and Polish people, and Polish, Jewish, and non-Jewish. And we were herded into where the showers are, and stripped of our clothes. Some girls were shaven the hair, some not. I, my hair wasn't shaven. And we were standing there in minus, I don't know, 15 degrees naked. And then when we had the shower, we didn't know whether it will be gas or shower. It was cold water. And then we were thrown some clothes. That is our guest, Tom Winter's mother, sharing. This was audio from a video that was recorded in January of 1997, and it was recorded by the Shoah Foundation. Could you briefly share with us, what is the Shoah Foundation? Uh, the Shoah Foundation was set up and funded by Steven Spielberg after the success of the movie Schindler's List. So Spielberg thought at that stage many of the survivors were into their 70s and he'd like to encapsulate uh, their lives. So he set up teams of people to go out and interview the survivors, not just a one-off interview, that people spent maybe a year, in my mother's case, getting to know her, gradually getting her comfortable to talk about the situation, go over uh, the information and the recorded videos are available at the Holocaust museums around the world in Los Angeles, Washington and Jerusalem. So that's okay. a legacy that Spielberg wanted to leave to the world. Yes, and like I mentioned, I was able to watch that. So it was interesting to see your mother share specifically her experiences in the concentration camp and in Auschwitz and with the famous Doctor of Death, this uh, Dr. Mengele. Yep. So getting back to the theme that we're trying to explore, how did their experiences shape your life? What were some of the things that they went through that you can remember from your childhood when they would share with you? Well, I guess I've been influenced by both, as you would expect. Uh, my mother was always exceptionally hardworking and uh, very resilient she suffered massive diseases during her life, all a result of her concentration camp experience. She yeah, she had TB. She contracted TB from Martin. Then when she came out of the camps... And her first husband, Martin, died from Died TB. from that yeah. in the camps. When she came out, the Americans who liberated them from her camp deposited them in the main square of Prague and said, go home. And my mother, a shy retiring sort like myself, said, where's home? We don't have a home. To mm. which they went to the YWCA for the first night and then they tried to find any connection. And the only one they could find for my mum was a friend of her grandmother who became our babichka or grandmother. And mm. she looked after mum and then noticed she had huge fevers and so took her to a doctor, diagnosed TB and mum was sent for two years up to the Swiss Alps 
to try to recover, pumped full of calcium injections on a regular basis. That was their treatment. And after about two years was able to go back to the Czech Republic. And it was then determined for her that the in-laws from that first marriage, the leader of family in New Zealand, said, come and join us. You're listening to The Story. Today, Tom Winter is sharing about the lives of his parents, who are both survivors of the Holocaust. Actually, they're the only ones in their families to survive. So, as we heard, Tom grew up without any grandparents or aunts and uncles. Next, we're going to find out how his parents met, fell in love, and came to settle here in Australia. That and more when we return. If this program has highlighted something you'd like prayer for, we'd love to pray for you. Call 1-800-PRAY-FOR-ME. That's 1-800-772-936. It's a free call. Or text 0401 132 Hi, I'm Jimmy Colfax and this is The Story. Today, Tom Winter is sharing with Eric Scadabo about the lives of his parents, both survivors of the Holocaust. Before the break, we heard about their time in different concentration camps during the war. Now, we're going to pick up the story after the war and find out how they eventually came to Australia. We'll begin with Tom's father. So after the war, uh, he went back and wanted to work as a lawyer, but the liberating forces in the Czech Republic were the Russians who took over most of Eastern Europe as their bounty from World War Two, where the English and Americans influenced more the West. Mm-hmm. His grandfather in 1918 had filled out a census and one of the questions, what is your mother tongue? And coming from Sudetenland, which is the most western part of the Czech Republic, the grandfather said German. So the Russians said to him, you're a German, you can't practice law. Oh boy, so he had just gone through the concentration camp thinks maybe now he can get life back to normal, but once again, he's discriminated against. Correct. But this time for for speaking German, even though he was just persecuted by the Germans. Absolutely. That's an irony. So he was doing, if you like, social work, legal work for an organization called The Joint, which was um, helping people to migrate, Jewish people to migrate. Israel didn't exist yet. This was sort mm-hmm. of 1947, 48. So to go to different countries around the world who would accept refugees. So he had two second cousins, people he used to in his childhood visit in Vienna. The one cousin lived in Melbourne, the other one in New York. And they both applied for landing permits for him to migrate from the Czech Republic and start life again. Australia won, and his second cousin got his landing permit for him. So when he got his landing permit, he went off to the shipping agency to book his passage, Mm -hmm. and that's where my mother was with her friend, who we called Babishka Podmilova, booking her passage. And Babishka went up to my father and said, um, sir, or some very respectful thing for a once prominent lawyer. Mm-hmm. This young lady is going on a big passage about six weeks because she had to go by ship from Genoa in Italy to Melbourne, Australia, 
then catch a train to Sydney and then a flying boat to um, New Zealand. That was a amphibious plane that landed in Rose Bay and flew over to Auckland. So she said to him, look, could you chaperone this young lady as far as you're travelling? So Dad took on this assignment and on the ship across, the Italian crew, uh, well, my mother wasn't well and she was in the sick bay and my father spent a lot of the voyage looking through a window in a door and they called him Romeo and kept asking him how Juliet was going. And um, So he was just supposed to watch over her. Well, he did for the rest of his life. <laughs> he took on the assignment and did a yeah, wonderful he that, job. He, did, he took that assignment very seriously. So obviously a romance sprung up. A romance that. sprung up. And by the time they'd got to Melbourne, they decided they'd like to start a life together. Mm-hmm. So mum still had to go to New Zealand. And when she was in New Zealand, she worked in a factory, a dress factory with her in-laws there. And then it took them about four months to get the landing permit and the permission to come to Australia. And then you come on the scene. I came along in August 51, and my sister was, I guess, early 50 or so. Okay. So, And they were older parents, because at that stage, Dad would have been 42, and Mum, well, she was about 16 years later, so she would have been about 26 already having experienced a lot in her short life. Mm -hmm. So they settled in Elstonwick. Now, your mother was asked, how did the Holocaust experience, the concentration camp experience, how did it change her? And she said it made her a fighter. Yeah, that was one of the things that both my sister and I are fighters. Mm. We've got that from her. She also, they landed in Australia with nothing. Mm. And they had to repay their passage mm-hmm. when they could. And your mother was also asked, did she see anybody praying in the concentration camps? She said she didn't, and she didn't pray either, but she also added that because of the experience, some people after the war became more devout Jews, Orthodox, and others didn't want to have anything to do with God because they said, how could he have allowed such a terrible thing? Yep. I believe that. And the other thing, neither of my parents really believed in God. However, they didn't want that to necessarily influence my sister and myself. So they sent us to Sunday school, a Jewish Sunday school at Temple Beth Israel, the liberal synagogue in Melbourne. And also I went through, I guess, five years of learning Hebrew and Jewish history mm-hmm. to train me up for my eventual bar mitzvah when a Jewish man turns 13 and now it's the bat mitzvah for a Jewish woman. So so this is really interesting. Your parents didn't really care too much about God or believe in him, but they wanted you to have uh, the Jewish upbringing. Well, the way they explained it is they wanted us to have a choice and that when we were adults, we could make up our mind. So if... They didn't expose us to any religion. We couldn't really make up our mind. Mm. So straight after my 13th birthday, my parents built a weekender house in Anglesey, or they started beforehand. They got some compensation money from the Germans and with that money built the weekender Mm -hmm. in Anglesey. And then 
my father used to study all day for one day of the weekend. He eventually became an accountant, and he would study all the legal side of accountancy. So he basically had to start all over. So whatever. Well, when he came here to Australia, he got a job at General Motors at Fisherman Bend, and with his hand, he was dunking Conrod parts into arsenic baths. And oh, we wow. think, How humbling. And we think that eventually killed him. He eventually mm. died of leukemia. After being the successful lawyer. Yeah, and at night, well, what he did, he studied, after the first year, he studied accountancy in daytime and worked night shift. My mother did some dressmaking from home and they just tried to eke out an existence. And then a couple of years later, he qualified, or they both qualified for Australian citizenship. And he was so proud to become an Australian, to be admitted to a country with freedom mm -hmm. after yeah. all the oppression they had, yeah. that he donated one week's salary to the local city council. Wow. And wrote a big letter of thanks. And um, said, Yeah, we just take so much of the freedom that we have for granted. Well, when my parents came, they wanted to learn about the Australian lifestyle. Mm -hmm. They wanted to be part of Australia. They lived in a part of Melbourne where they weren't sort of in a ghetto-type environment. So they didn't continue emphasising their Jewish identity. Is that a fair thing to say? Uh, well, not their European identity. Mm. They wanted to be Aussies and oh, okay. learn, learn about the Australian lifestyle. She then went to um, uh, mother's clubs and so on, gradually made friends and learnt some English. They began their new life here yes. in Australia. Yep. Okay, so that pretty much paints a picture of what was life like for your parents and why they had the profound impact on your life that they did. Thank you so much for sharing the story of your parents' lives. It's my pleasure. Next time, we're going to have you share your story and how all of the experiences that your parents went through, how it influenced your life, and then how you eventually put your faith in Jesus Christ. So we'll have you share with us again next time. Looking forward to it. That was Tom Winter sharing with Eric Scatterbo about the lives of his parents, both of whom were sole survivors of the Holocaust. Next time, we'll find out the rest of their story and about Tom's life and how he came to put his faith in Jesus. Earlier in today's program, we heard an excerpt from the video of Tom's mother, Ruth, sharing about her experiences during the Holocaust. It was made by Steven Spielberg's Shoah Foundation. They filmed the stories of over 50,000 survivors of the Holocaust. Unfortunately, there have been other cases of genocide in the world since the Holocaust, and now the Foundation is filming additional survival stories with the hope that their suffering will keep history from repeating. Well, once again, we invite you to join us again next time for part two of Tom Winters and his parents' story. Until then, I'm Jimmy Colfax, encouraging you to share your story with someone today. Next time on The Story... I thought it's too hard to be perfect. None of us are. And, you know, none of us are ever going to achieve a sinless life. The only being that's ever done that is Jesus. And uh, on the flight home from Perth, I made the decision that I don't want to keep striving. You know, it's okay that I'm not perfect. I'll give this Christian thing a go. Tom Winter will join us again to share more about the lives of his parents, who are both survivors of the Holocaust. We'll find out about the impact they've had on his life and about how he came to put his faith in Jesus. That and more next time. The Story. The story. Just another way vision is connecting faith to life. 
This program is a production of Vision Christian Media. To find out more about us, see vision.org.au.